is Apprentice Sunday, and we are on the, um, how do we call it, the Apprentice Sunday light version today, uh, because Stu has been leading worship for a long time. But these are spaces and times where we really love to cultivate the leadership gifts in people. We want to see not just the same voices all the time, speaking or leading worship or telling stories of the community, but we believe that this is the priesthood of all saints. And so all of you have been put on mission by God, with God, for the sake of others. And one of the ways we practice that is Apprentice Sunday, where people for the first time in our community are doing something. So Brandon Jaime, get your booty up here. Yeehaw! There is much anticipation for this for a number of reasons. One, because I think as we've all gotten to know Brandon, he is just one of the most kind, sweet, loving, gentle people you've ever met. And uh, he is somebody who has pastoral presence in this community as a home group leader, as someone who's been around for a while and really knows the DNA. So he's not just a voice. He's somebody in this community who loves you dearly, and I know today longs to give you a vision of Jesus. It's beautiful. So he's going to preach for 10 minutes, but probably 11 or 12, because <laughs> that's usually what happens. Yeah. So he's going to preach, and then I'm going to get up, and I'm going to close this out with just like 20 minutes of uh, kind of wrapping it up and leading us into a response time around communion. So we're not having a Good Friday um, service this year, but we're going to celebrate and remember the cross this year before we celebrate his resurrection next week. I meant to say this week, not next week. So extend a hand towards Brandon. Let's pray for him. Jesus, we love you so much. And these moments are not about excellency. They are about you. They are not about cleverness. They are not about knowledge. They're about you. And so we just ask today for just a vision of you, yeah. a clearer vision of you, God. That is our hope and desire as we welcome you today into your kingdom on Palm Sunday. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Thanks, Ty. Let me get myself situated. So this is a really exciting for me. This community has become not just my church, but it really feels like extended family. I'm just really excited to be with you guys, and I am excited to be making much of Jesus today. So, to start, what sort of image do you think of when you think of the word king? What comes to mind? Maybe we can try and visualize it for a second. Uh, what does a king look like? I asked a few of my friends this question earlier this week, and I wanted to share a few of those responses that I got from them. Uh, Troy Guibert, who I have not seen today, I don't know if he's here, uh, he told me, for me, when I think of a king, I think of a very large and centering presence, lifted above the rest, seated on a massive throne overlooking everyone. I also envision marks of age on a king's face and hands, wrinkles and calluses as signs of aged wisdom. Shannon Kayez, where are you, Shannon? There she is. <laughs> uh, what comes to mind when I uh, what comes to mind is a man wearing a big robe, one with a kind of air of magnanimity and nobility that affects people around him and causes them to honor him and revere him. And for some reason, 
I'm envisioning a man larger than life size. And there's a few others. Maddie Zimmerman said that she thinks of Aslan from Chronicles of Narnia. And these are all really, really great, and I think they're pretty accurate when we think of a king. Um, A king is probably wearing a crown, right? Like a big crown on his head. He's probably wearing some kind of robe, one with a long train that follows him. He might be riding a white horse or a chariot, maybe. And there's probably something about him and his appearance and the way he makes his entrance that would tell you that he's powerful and that he's significant. There would be something about him that told you of his greatness. What kind of king enters his kingdom in humility and gentleness? He comes not on a horse or riding a chariot, but on a beast of burden. What kind of king do we have in Jesus? Passage today is Luke 19. I'll be starting in verse 28. I think it should be on the screen. It's quite a bit to get through, but we'll do it. After Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So, at this time, the Jewish people have been living under a brutal Roman occupation for nearly a hundred years, and the angst and the tension that had built up amongst the people towards the Roman oppressors was really intense, like really intense. There were uprisings and riots in the streets, led by groups like the Zealots and the Essenes, and movements calling for the violent overthrow of Rome were moving from the political fringes and gaining momentum within the broader popular culture. And Jesus comes on the scene and people bear witness to his miracles and his power. We read elsewhere that the crowds that are gathered here in Jerusalem were present with him only a few days later, before, sorry, a few days prior when he raised the man Lazarus from the dead. 
And they saw this power and his authority, and no doubt they began to think, could this actually be the Messiah? Could this be our liberator? And could this Jesus be the one who would finally set us free? And you can almost feel the hope and the pain in the people's voice as they proclaim, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And they begin placing their cloaks and palm branches on the road in front of Jesus as he passes by, singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For a hundred years, the people had hoped and prayed for a Messiah. Most of the people who were there, actually, had probably only ever known of Roman occupation and the suffering that that had inflicted upon them. And they hoped for a liberator who would finally vanquish the enemies of Israel. And this kind of hope was not without its own historical precedent. When they would have probably thought of a king, they probably would have imagined more of a conquering military hero, much like some of the ideas that we thought of earlier, because that's what kings did in their day. That's how you became king, was through conquering other nations. And we would only need to take a cursory look at the history of Israel's kings and their heroes, and we would see that most of, if not all of them, were men of war and men of violence. Even the best of them overthrowing nations and killing the enemies of Israel. It was said of King David, the man after God's own heart, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. It was David, after all, who killed Goliath with the rest of the Philistines. And these stories of kings and military conquests and all of that are part of a larger story of God and are to be understood within that context. I'm not trying to set these in opposition um, to each other. I just want to be understood in that. But what I am saying is that Jesus seems to be a completely altogether different kind of king than they had ever had. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he. Humble and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Reading this like we do with Western modern eyes, there's some significance that is lost on us. We can learn, I think, a lot about Jesus and the way he chooses to reveal himself. Jesus didn't come on a horse or a chariot, and he didn't bring an army with him. But he's the son of God, right? He is the maker of heaven and earth, and I think a a little show of force doesn't really seem out of place. We would actually kind of think that that would be appropriate. But he rode on a donkey, on an animal that to us seems like nothing more than a beast of burden. But in the Old Testament, a donkey was actually a royal steed ridden by Israel's kings in times of peace. He doesn't bring war with him or violence. He brings peace. He comes not to conquer or to kill, but in fact, he comes to die. He comes in meekness and humility and gentleness because that is what Jesus is like. Completely subverting the culture's idea of what a Messiah would be or what he would do, you know, bringing wrath upon 
the enemies of Israel, but he's showing them a better way, a more perfect way. This way would lead him only a few days later to the cross where Jesus would voluntarily surrender himself up to be crucified and killed. He did not establish his kingdom with a show of strength or a perpetuation of violence, but instead willingly subjected himself to the violence of the very people he came to save, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Friends, this is our King. This is Jesus, the one who holds all power and all authority and yet chooses humility and gentleness. He didn't have to do that, but that's what he chose. And I had walked with Jesus for many years and never completely saw him for who he truly was. The Jesus I knew probably looked a little bit more like the warrior kings of old, the ones that we spoke of earlier, more than the gentle and lowly prince of peace. He does not rule with a strong arm. He does not lead with an iron fist. He leads me beside the salt waters. He restoreth my soul. And I think in light of that, what is it like to serve this king? What is his kingdom like? What is it like living under Jesus? Jesus said of his own kingdom in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I could probably go on forever telling you about our great king, what he's like. There's really no one like him. There isn't any, there has not ever been a king like him. There never will be another like him. But I think what I want to do, instead of going on forever, is in light of this, I want to just look at Jesus in all of his beauty and all of his glory in full view. And I want to invite my friend Tyler up to talk a little bit about what this kingdom might look like for us. Come on, first one, done. You did it, and you did so great. Brandon did what I think is the most important task of preaching, and that's give us a vision of Jesus. That's what will change us. Information, cool. Knowledge, cool. But a vision of Jesus and awareness of the Holy Spirit in the room is what will change us. So as I preach, I don't want you guys to think of this as like two separate sermons, okay? Like Brandon said, he really wanted to hone in on who Jesus is. And I want to move these mics there, these stands out of the way. And uh, what I really want to do is give us a vision of his kingdom and what it looks like to be a people of his kingdom, all right? Cool? You guys are just so quiet today. It's insane. And you're all like 20-something, so you're not quiet people. Okay, so here's where I want to start. I want to set the scene of the moment that Jesus is walking 
into this, or as we open the text, okay? Jesus is walking into Jerusalem. The holy city of God is on the horizon. And it's the beginning of the Passover celebration. So, so catch this. This is like today, a couple thousand years ago. So I, let yourself relive this story. Try to picture yourself in this story. If there's a crowd with Jesus walking into the city at the beginning of Passover, which is the season of celebration when the, the Hebrews or the Jews would celebrate when God uh, rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And so they would come together and they'd make all these big preparations for a big feast that they'd call the Seder meal, which some of you all, I'm not putting any home group leaders on the spot, but some of you will actually have that same meal this week that's been had for thousands and thousands of years. You guys are going to engage in that same meal this week, some of you. Other home group leaders, I have a liturgy if you want it. No pressure. I don't know, Dan and Susie. I mean, you guys... You're Jewish, so you probably are doing it. Yeah, you probably are. So there is a slight irony to this moment, though. And that is that they're, they're having this big freedom celebration. And no, they aren't slaves anymore to Assyria or Babylon or Egypt. But in their own land, they are under the dominion of the Roman Empire and Herod's family. Let's just say that as a general term, Herod's family. So they are celebrating their slavery, and yet they're kind of being ruled in their own land. One of the Israelite historians that I really enjoy, his name's Ray Vanderlaan, he says this, each year when Passover season came around, revolt was in the air. And that just sounds cool. Revolt was in the air. After all, God gave us this land, right? This is our land. And it's our land to rule in, not to be ruled in, but so was the current reality of the moment. So each year when the, when the Jews are beginning the preparations for Passover, there's this hope in the air that maybe, just maybe, this year, like when we're celebrating our freedom, God will send that person, that Messiah, to deliver us and make us free once and for all. And maybe that'll happen this year. So it's not necessarily crazy to understand why people would have thought that Jesus might be that conquering king. Because somebody else was ruling over their land, and they wanted to take back what God had promised to them. Does that make a little bit of sense of what's going on there, right? This is a metaphor, so don't go twisting my words on me. But this would be like if here in America we had a world superpower in and among us, like Russia or China, ruling over us with dominion in America. And on July 4th, we're like, we're taking back what's ours. This is not happening anymore. This is our land, right? It would be similar. Now, let it be a metaphor. You know me. But this was the kind of hope that surrounded the Passover. It's the kind of hope that people had as Jesus was walking up into Jerusalem at this moment just a little under 2,000 years ago, all right? So that's kind of where we've been. Now, I want to take you to the text. Uh, Josh, if you want to put up the first verse of this text, I want you to notice how this starts, all right? After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead. Wait. After he had said what? 
Glad you asked. We're going to go one step back to the story right before. And your, your Bible might say the parable of the minas or the money bags or the talents. Whatever the case, essentially Jesus tells a parable of money bags. And I don't have time to tell the entire story, but essentially what happens is a rich man gives three people bags of very valuable money. Two of them, they go invest it, and they make a big return on it. One, ten times what he had been given. The other, five times. And the rich man's like, that's my guy. I love it. But then there's one other guy. And he's afraid that he's going to lose it. And so he just holds on to that money. And then when the rich man comes back, he says, here, here's all your money. It didn't multiply, but at least you have all of it. And the guy's like, what the heck, man? Like, you should have gone and, and blessed others with that money and multiplied it. And really, it's this parable that Jesus is telling about the joy of walking in salvation, that it's to bless others and to multiply. And so as he begins this parable in in Luke 19, 11, which I don't have the scripture for, sorry, he says, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom was going to appear at once. It says he told them this parable because he was about to go to Jerusalem. It's not just a proprietary and he was. And they thought that the kingdom was going to appear at once. All of us should read that and go, what? The kingdom at once? What? And I think as Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem, and people are catching on, because he had been doing God stuff, like in Luke 19, they say because of all the miracles they had seen, he had been doing God stuff. And people are like, oh my gosh, this might be our guy. And he's coming during Passover. And and if he's coming, he's going to liberate us. And if he's going to liberate us, he's going to walk in there to Jerusalem. And you know what he's going to do in there, right? He's going to whoop some stuff. (laughs) And I just picture the disciples in that crowd walking in like, we're here. We're here. Well, I mean, he's here, but we're here with him, and it's Passover, and stuff's about to go down, right? They are getting stoked because they have come to take back what's theirs by Jesus. And so Jesus tells them this parable of the money bags, and he says, it's, you just don't get it, do you? It's not, about what's, it's not about keeping what's been given to you. It's about blessing the world and multiplying it. And so he keeps trying to make this point. And so he, he gets on a donkey, and he rides into the city on a humble donkey with a humble saddle made of outer garments, just filling that prophecy of peace and humility that Brandon told us about in Zephaniah 9. But they just don't get it. They just don't get it. In fact, the people go before him, and they're shouting, Hosanna, well, in Matthew. In Luke, they're shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And there is so much to say about this moment, but here's really what I want to get at the essence of. Is I don't think the crowds around him were walking into the city with him like, blessed are you, King Jesus. Now we see clearly. We've been blind, but... But now we see yours is the kingdom of peace. And yours is the kingdom of humility. And yours, oh King Jesus, is the kingdom of forgiveness. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think 
These are war cries. These are war cries. This is the pump-up music right before, you know, a big game in the locker room. And they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, and he's here to take back what is ours. This right here is the famous moment before any UFC fight, like you might have watched last night, UFC 273, where Bruce Buffer is, uh, is getting the crowd pumped up. And he says, in the right corner, weighing in at 175 pounds and absolutely shredded, could take your head off with one punch. Man, that bronze steel of armor, wow, is the Roman Empire, right? And on the left is Jesus of Nazareth weighing in it. Well, he's not, he's not big, but he can hit hard, like, you know. And then the, the, the crowd's getting ready, and they're so excited, and it's when Bruce Buffer says, it's time! And everyone's freaking out, and my heart rate is at 150 because I want Conor McGregor to win one fight at least every four or five. Like, he's capable of that, I think. But really, the crowds are walking in, and they're saying, could this be it? Is this the time? Like, are we with the king in all his glory when he's going to take back what is ours? I think that's what's going on here because it's no wonder that the... the Jesus would then look to the Pharisees, who do not think Jesus is king, by the way. And the Pharisees would shout to him, Jesus, what are you doing? Shut, shut up. Shut up. Get, get them to shut up. The, you cannot keep doing this. You're going to get us killed. Like you are literally walking into the holy city under Roman occupation, yelling war cries. What do you think is about to happen? And then Jesus responds... If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And then he looks towards the holy city of Jerusalem and just begins to weep. It's really in contrast to what's going on. And I got to ask, and maybe you're with me, what the heck is going on here? Jesus, I'm throwing them for a party for you, and you're weeping. I always understood this as a story of Jesus walking into the city, and, and everyone's so excited. Jesus, there you are, the king we've been waiting for. We didn't know you're the one we need, but you are the one we need. Blessed are you. Blessed is your kingdom. And then the Pharisees are like, Jesus, Tell them to shut up. It's, they cannot praise you. You're not king. And he's like, no, I am king. And if they don't praise me, the rocks will praise me. Is that possible? I guess it is possible. I mean, we see creation praising God throughout scriptures. But here's what I think is really going on. Because Jesus quotes a passage of scripture from the book that we as Genesis just finished studying. What was that? Habakkuk. Oh my gosh, that was so good. That's a hard one. But he quotes directly from Habakkuk 2, okay? And in this moment of Habakkuk 2, the people are, uh, are a greedy and hungry people who are storing up goods for themselves uh, through injustice and through violence to others, and, and God has a word for them. <laughs> and he says this. Uh, Josh, the, the text is in there. Habakkuk 2, he says, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. Because you have plundered many nations, 
The people who are left will plunder you, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. And you've plotted the ruin of many people, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. Here it is. The stones of the wall will cry out, and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who blood builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. One of the commentators I read while I was studying for this says, if God's own people won't speak up and cry out to him when there's an injustice that needs to be made right, then creation itself will cry out. And we see this very similarly in Genesis 4 when Cain kills his brother. And God says, Cain, where, where's, where's Abel? Where's your brother? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He says, oh, Cain, what have you done? Listen. Your, blood's bl your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. I think right here, Jesus says the very stones themselves, maybe even the stones of the temple he's about to walk into, will cry out, Lord, look at the injustice that's been done here. Come and make it right in your own way, in your own kingdom. Or as Habakkuk says, come make it right, not by human bloodshed, not by destroying towns, or taking back cities, or in other words, a militant king that God will raise up to avenge this injustice against you. But Habakkuk says it's, well, well, but Jesus is saying it's through forgiveness, and it's through humility, and it's through peace and nonviolence that I will give back to you what rightfully belongs to yours. And so Jesus walks into the city weeping, saying, oh, Jerusalem, Oh, daughter Jerusalem, if you, even you, my own people, knew what would bring you peace today. And what, and what you want to go do to them, he prophesies, and I'm paraphrasing here, what you want to go do to them, it's going to be done to you very shortly. And we know that in the year 70, Rome and Jerusalem went to war, and Rome tore Jerusalem to shreds. And then they destroyed the temple of God. Friends, Palm Sunday is, and as you know, has always been about welcoming the king in. But what I recognize as I read this story is that most, if not all people in this story, had God in their presence, and they didn't even want God but they wanted what God could give them. And they didn't just want God, they wanted their particular image of God. In Genesis, my prayer today is, oh Lord, don't let that be us. Like God is in our presence right here as we're together. He is in our presence in this place. He's as much in this room as he was on a donkey almost 2,000 years ago with a crowd around him. He's right here. And we need to be people who can host him in this room, who can receive the Holy Spirit and host him. Guys, this is a challenging story for me right now because I am in a moment 
where I, uh, I need a new job. I need money to support me and Haley and our one-day family. I want stability. And if you want to see like a really unholy side of Tyler, put me in a really gnarly financial situation and you'll find him. I'm working on it. My point being this, is that I have this sense of I want to take back what's mine. If I'm being honest, I've wanted to build this kingdom that says I can do it, right? Like, <laughs> God, please give me a job. Please give me money. Please give me stability. And these aren't bad things. But I have wanted to show that I'm not a failure, that I'm not just the Indiana boy who moved out to the big city, California, and couldn't handle it. You know. That's right. Midwest people right here. <laughs> we got insecurities about the West Coast. But what I am recognizing is this. Is that sometimes my expectations of how I want God to bless me keep me blind to him. To him in my presence. And how he actually wants to bless me. And if I can just be honest and say that far too often. I am like the crowd around Jesus on Palm Sunday. I just don't get it. I'm shouting his praise. I want, I'm asking him for things, but I just don't get it. But here's what I'm learning. Is that the path to the kingdom of God is paved by people who get who he is, not who get what they want. The path to the kingdom of God is paved by people who get who he is, not by what they want. And I just want to ask us today, are you and I truly, truly, truly a people of his presence? Like, do you want the job? Do you want the blessing? Or do you want to become somebody with great patience and trust in the Lord because you know he's with you? Is your prayer for money... Or is it like to learn that God knows my every need and he's walking with me through every trial? Is your prayer for stability? Or is it to know that even when everything around me is shaking, jobs and relationships and circumstances, even when it's all shaking around me, I have built my foundation firm on Jesus and I know he will be faithful because he is here with me. I am a person of his presence. We can bless other people in our darkest moments because God is with us. It is such a beautiful mark of what it looks like to live in his kingdom. But God needs to teach us. He needs to make us people of his kingdom. And so I just want to invite you right now. We're going to take like 30 seconds of just quiet. And Levi's going to sing prophetically over us. <laughs> it's totally okay. I promise, Kelsey. <laughs> it's totally okay. <laughs> but we're just going to take some time, and I just want you to ask yourself two questions. One, God, what are the images of you that just taint what I actually know is true of you? But the second is this, and I really want you to, to give this to him. Lord, what are the areas in my life where I honestly want your blessing or what you can give me more than I just want you? And so the Holy Spirit is in this room in this moment. 
And I just want to ask him to, to bring that to your heart. Just take like 30 seconds right now and just ask him, Lord, what are those areas of my life where I just recognize I want what you can give me more than just you? There are moments in our life that we have experienced where people have mishandled trust or been abusive or irresponsible with the image of God that they portray to us. And some of you have been victims of that, whether it was a leader or a parent, or a dating relationship, you name it. And it's honestly hindered the way that you're able to see Jesus. It's hindered the way that you're able to even have a desire for his presence in the room. It's hindered the way that, that you could come to him in your times of pain or be vulnerable because if he's just angry and temperamental and set apart, then I, I don't know if I really can. But I want to remind you today as we read on Palm Sunday that he is love and he is grace and he is humble. And he shows us that as he takes his throne on a cross and he walks up to his throne on a donkey, and he is near to the brokenhearted. He knows your suffering. He is compassionate, and he is patient. He's gentle, and he is trustworthy, and he longs for you and him to be one as he and the Father are one. And so we're actually going to finish today um, taking communion together. And Stu, if you and your team want to come up here in just a minute, you're more than welcome. But essentially, as we take communion together, I want you to bring those two things to the communion table. What are those images of God that you just know, they don't reflect who he really is, but if, if you're honest, they're true in your heart. And then two, what are those areas of your life where you want his blessing more than you just want him? And bring those to the communion table. And be honest with the Lord. He's okay with that. He's okay with that. Because there is a solution to all of this. And it's the cross. See, the problem was not simply that only the Romans or the Herods or the Gentiles or the Pharisees were the ones who got it wrong. Were the ones who had the evil in their heart and, and wanted to crucify Jesus. But the honest truth is that same, that same evil is in all of our hearts. And it's been there. I mean, catch this. It is st astonishing 
that the same people who are singing, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, glory in the highest heavens, are the same one who are shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. Because it's in us too. And as he rode into a city, Jesus knew, as he was riding into that city, he knew they did not get it. And he knew they would crucify him. And friends, Jesus knows today that we will not always get it. And knowing all of this, Jesus still chose to lay his life down. Like the Passover lamb who marked each of our freedom. And he didn't fight back with vengeance. And he didn't shed the blood of others to save his own life. But rather, he hung on a cross. Where Jesus took the entire weight of our sin and our blindness, and our evil. And he bore that sin in himself. And then rather than retaliating, he spoke these words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They just don't get it. But the very evil that is in all of us, and was in the Romans, and was in the Pharisees, that is in us, Jesus chooses to drive it out with humility. Jesus chooses to drive it out with peace, not a whip. He chooses to drive it out with forgiveness. And <laughs> I think what Jesus is doing on Palm Sunday is showing him that the kingdom of God, it's him. And if you want to know what, what the kingdom looks like or what Jesus looks like, it's peace and it's forgiveness, and it's humility. It is the kingdom we've always needed. And so we're going to come to the communion table now. And friends, I want this to be a gentle reminder of the goodness of God. Which king are we welcoming into this place today? The king who can accomplish everything we want to bless us? The king whose image we, we want to create? Or is it King Jesus? And his presence is so good and it's so sweet and it's full of humility and it is with you and it is forgiving and that's what we celebrate at the, at the communion table. But that evil that was in each of us, Jesus has driven it away as far as the east is from the west as Leviticus shows us. And so what I want to ask you to do is just stand up and we're going to worship and we're going to go get some communion So as you come to the communion table, and I please invite all of you to come up to the communion table. Let this be a moment, a quiet moment. Stu's just going to sing over us, and I just want to remind you, his presence is with you. And the call today, more than anything, is are we a people who see him and who know him and host him? So let's pray together. Jesus, we love you so much. And Jesus, we so dearly want to be a people who can host your presence well. We want a people who aren't caught up in our own plans and our own blessing, but are a people who through all the hardships are well acquainted with your presence. And then Lord, that you lead us 
much like you were pointing to these people to, to multiply our blessing, to bless others with it, to multiply the joy of salvation. God, we recognize your presence here and we invite your Holy Spirit to come and move and minister with us right now. Come up. There's four communion tables. There's one on the left, two on the left, two on the right. And just spend a moment in the presence of God.